A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, this is Emma, production and experience director at the Webby Awards. You might remember me from the old ads, but I'm back. Are you as impressed by the work of the Webby winners as we are? The work honored at the Webby Awards is changing the future of the internet, and you can have access to all the deets behind it. Sign up to the Webby Gallery and Index to uncover insights, inspiration, and trends for your work or just for fun. You'll get the ability to discover innovative projects from around the world that are awesome online, a database of credits to check out who made all that groundbreaking digital work, Trends and insights not available outside of our database, including major categories like fashion, sports, and social, and the advanced power of search. So if you're ahead of us and want to find something we didn't mention, you can do that too. Make sure you're in the know and sign up for free at the top of our page at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. For all. Universal access to all knowledge. Listen, 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 listen. Everything is interesting and exciting. Hey there, and welcome back to the Webby Podcast. My next guest is very much an internet icon in her own right. Megan Smith was part of one of the most important teams in Silicon Valley in the late 80s, General Magic, a startup that is responsible for tech we rely on today, like the iPhone and Android. She was also the former chief technology officer to the United States under President Barack Obama. We talked a lot about what her role as the country's CTO looked like, from pushing for tech policy to bringing technologists from around the world into the U.S. government to solve important civic issues, like foster care, for example. Needless to say, Megan is an expert on what it takes to increase America's digital fluency and solve the nation's largest problems. We also talked a lot about her new organization, Shift7, that helps find innovators of all kinds to fix global issues. They work with initiatives like the UN Solution Summit to help gather people who are already doing the work around an issue and help accelerate them. Megan Smith, thank you for joining us on the Webby Podcast. The Webbies! I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Just to say, um, you've had a, a very illustrious career in tech, big role at Google, and then more recently, you were the CTO for the United States of America, which was a position that was actually created, I believe, in 2008, at the beginning of the Obama administration, and you took on in 2011? Is that right? Uh, 2014, so I was the 2014, third. 2014, sorry. sorry. for about three years. Tell me, tell me a bit about what that was like, and what, what did you do, and what was your sort of like charge um, in that job? Actually, just country, in terms of the country, we have used technology, you know, obviously from the beginning, in fact, uh, some of the original founders working together. President Washington started the Army Corps of Engineers, for example, Corps of Eng. President Lincoln started the uh, National Academies, so the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, Medicine, Advising Government. So the, at the, all these different times, after World War II, Vannevar Bush, who was the science advisor at the time, created what structures into becoming the National Science Foundation and the federal labs there were labs already, of course, NAS that becomes NASA with Kennedy, uh, working with his science advisor at the time, Jerry Wiesner. And so this is that same kind of role. It's how do you help the president and the team harness the power of data, 
innovation and technology on behalf of the American people and the world. And a lot of times I think of it as a plus one job. You're advising, you're doing tech policy, but you're also helping capacity build. So there's a science advisor and now there's a CTO. And the reason why President Obama added the CTO is just, you know, we look, we're talking on the internet, like digital network technologies are disrupting everything and bringing opportunity and challenges across the board. So how could the government take advantage of that and be protected from that? And so the first person who was in CTO job, Anish, really focused on tech and policy, open data, open, like a lot of getting the policy and the law written in particular ways. And then Todd, who was second, and then me, and then Michael, we continue that. So lots of like tech policy. The second bucket was really Todd coming in and saying, you know, how do we capacity build this government? And what could you do with modern approaches, both in government procurement, but also could we have more of the tech sector take a tour of duty in government? And so that you saw the beginning of like the presidential innovation fellows. We just welcomed our seventh class. And that's like an entrepreneur residence, you know, front end, back end, you know, user interface designers, um, product marketing, others who can join in our many different agencies and team up and really innovate, you know, open data for labor and workforce and build back better or work in the Department of Energy or work in HHS, et cetera. The United States Digital Service was started right under Todd and also 18F, which was started from some PIFs, some of the Presidential Innovation Fellows. So there's already been the whole history of government, great technical people in government. This is adding an additional capacity to that. And you're not, as the USCTO or the science advisor, these two roles, you're not running the technology of government. You're not the CIO. You're not running NASA or you know DOE. You're really bringing capacity building. So the third thing that I added, we continued and actually built and formalized the PIF structure and continued to bring more technical folks in a tour of service to blend in with the other technical folks here. And also just would add in some of the agencies which had less tech, they had some IT, but HUD or Ed, or if I went to Health and Human Services, even when I went to a meeting of, say, in the National Institute of Health, I would be expected, like we might work on precision medicine or genomics or data science there. But if I went down the hall, HS, public health, to maybe a foster care meeting or something at USDA around school lunch, they might not typically have the kind of talent in the United States that's making self-driving cars or working on big data problems. But why not? Those are big data problems. And so thinking about tech as a teammate, like TQ, tech quotient scales, just like you might have comms Q, managerial Q, legal Q, get this group into every room because these technologies are valid for civic technology, social technology, environmental technology, just as much as say a commercial play. So that we continue to push and grow the networks there and bring more talent. We brought over 500 Americans who have built Amazon and Facebook and Dropbox and Twitter to come into the US government and to our service. And like, they're not know-it-alls who come and fix everything. They come in and sit together with genius, career civil servants and others, politicals, other who are serving, who really know the topic hmm. and work on some of the like hardest problems. It's harder to work on foster care than say a restaurant delivery app. Like this is hard, you right. know, and we, I, you know, COVID's been helpful to have those products, but they're not the only, we can use this technology for all of our problems. And so the last part I'd add is this idea we called Innovation Nation, which is how do we get all the Americans into the kind of sort of innovation experience, whether it's at school with active STEM, like science fair and computer science for all and project-based learning, like we learn to read and write, with Project Base, we should do that with science and tech, with arts, 
And then with grownups like tech hire and data-driven justice and all the ways that we can make coalitions, including many amazing government contractors who might come through API or through a contract and others, and really build the networks that we deserve to have for civic technology and solution-making together. And so we've worked a lot on criminal justice reform, those topics, as well as AI policy, you know, tech policy, but with town halls. So really mixing this up and using tech and innovation methodologies the way we use them, you know, for certain topics, but for any topic and welcome anyone in. Having spent three years doing that, like, and, and, and I assume now you probably are some touch with the current CTO. I, it sounds like you guys kind of treat it a little bit like a relay race, the, the position, yeah. right? You're all sort of working, you were working towards the same thing. What's your, I don't say diagnosis, but like, how do you think the United States is doing and like compared to other countries and specifically compared to whichever countries are doing the best job and what are those countries and what are they doing that we're not doing if anything you know i think we're doing well because lots of countries this is hard and it's new and so we're on the edge of that there are a couple of countries that are like way ahead of everybody estonia right. famously and it's the same move there the president of estonia at the time some of the skype team you know is from that region and so it's the same idea not come and boss government but come in and use your skills and say, you know, how can I help? And then just listen. You know, we have two ears, two eyes and one mouth for a reason. So let's like listen and look and learn. And sometimes I think of us techies a little bit like, like if we were a Navy SEALs team, the other people know how to run the operation. We know how to do the lock picking and the ladders and like how to go faster. And so you're listening for those moments where your methods can be very valuable for the mission. Hmm. You know, Estonia's ahead. We one thing that was fabulous was uh, President Obama, Samantha Powers, Ambassador Powers, others had created an organization called with other countries. Eight countries were in it first, which is called the Open Government Partnership. And this is an idea where governments and civil society would meet together and co-run initiatives and conversations for more transparent, effective government. And so, what happened in those meetings? You would have techies start to show up. So we got to know the teams from France, the teams from Kenya, the teams from Mexico, the teams who are our colleagues. They had often been like us in their tech sector, whether they were in startups or in bigger companies or others. And they had come to do a tour of service in the government. And, you know, Canada, I think I said Indonesia, you know, just across the board, India, just great colleagues. And we actually have a long history as a country to collaborate in science and technology across. Sure. And the National Security Council has all of those in the President's Science Advisor adding kind of digital techies. We even created a State Department program at one point where we brought a lot of this group together to the United States, looking around at what we were doing state and local, you know, like Code for America and other state and local innovation programs. What are some of the things they do in Estonia that are so like remarkable? Everybody's always talking about Estonia. It's interesting because a lot of, I was going to say it's easier, but there's a really key insight. They didn't have enough money not to do it. Isn't that interesting? No, well, that's how all great problems are solved by constraints, right? right? Yeah. You know, constraints. And so it, it, things like they have a policy type once. They try to not make people constantly fill out these long forms. Like, look at the beauty of a responsive website, you know, like Amazon or others. Like, why can't we do that with our government websites? And that's what's exciting about being able to bring analytics and these kinds of talent, whether through contractors or a handful of the team inside to purchase well. Estonia has that and they, they do ID, they have, you know, their schools, everything is, it's beautifully done. And I think they're about 10 or 15 million people. So it's mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, the region of New York city sort of, Right. but for us, there's great things. And that's, that, that's what I would get to, which is 
we have a method we call Scout and Scale in Shift 7, which is our company today, and we, we were doing it then. Instead of imagining what you could do, we often will just like, oh, my God, we've got to fix, you know, name the problem. Look up and say, I wonder who is already, which is what venture capitalists do. They don't make the companies. They find great innovators and support them and coach them and build networks. So can you find doers? And so we found a lot of extraordinary things already being solved. And so if you can then build kind of a community of practice of people who can more rapidly share, like Apprentice Journey Mastery, you can move quickly. I'll give you an example of that. So we need to get more Americans into better, higher paying jobs. And one of those areas is, is coding. And it's not only coding. It could be digital marketing. It could be product management. It's sort of tech-related jobs. Sure. And, you know, Mark Andreessen always says software eats the world. You know, we've gone with Steve K. Sunrise, the rest. There's every company in the country and every organization in the country, nonprofit, philanthropy, others, need to become more digital. And we need more Americans who are fluent. So how could you get everybody in? So what was happening around 2015, there were a lot of emerging coding boot camps, you know, this like months, not years. And they were all different flavors, very, you know, American, like, you know, there's the Turing School and Flatiron and this group and that group and Lovelace and those wonderful schools. Some of them were paid, some of them they paid you, it just depended. And so we brought that group together to the White House to talk to each other about what they were working on. And then we also uh, found mayors like in Louisville, Code Louisville, the mayor was saying, we got to get into this. So mayors who were paying attention, we found places where employers were hiring from this new cohort. In addition to as many college grads as they could get, they were saying, I need more. So Delaware, it was VMware. We saw a couple other companies try to remember. And so they came together. And so we brought this coalition of sort of the techies already in town. If you look on the meetup tool, you'll see people going hiking. But if you look in your zip code, you'll find tech meetups. And for example, the president was going to Boise, Idaho, and there were 15 tech meetups in Boise, Idaho that we found, so had them meet. So in town, there was a tech community already there who could welcome. There were mayors and others paying attention. There were new emerging programs in the community college or others that were short form quick, and there were employers hiring. But that was only existing in a few cities. So we just workshopped that. And first it was five. St. Louis and uh, Louisville and New York. And then it was 20 and then it was 40 and then it was 70. And we called it tech hire. One of the great things is, you know, our country has a lot of money, but the budgets can be dusty sometimes. And so Katie Ryan Burke found a hundred million dollar budget in the Department of Labor that was for retraining Americans that was has seeing applications, but not at scale. So we told all 70s of these cities, you could apply and just... You know, 39 cities got several million dollars each. Hmm. So, you know, Albuquerque was a good example where veterans, aging out foster care, young people, formerly incarcerated people, uh, single parents, people with disabilities, others were all able to begin to do this training and they could get a job that pays three times the average American salary at companies that desperately needed them locally and didn't want to move. And so it was like a win, win, win. So that's an example of sort of, it's almost like community organizing innovation by putting together the networks that belong together. So that was an example of one of the programs we did. Interesting. Yeah, because so much of that stuff's already ongoing and it just needed some cheerleaders and some supporters and some organizers and money. Yeah, system integration and then go find some money that might even already be available. We did that with criminal justice reform. Some of the presidential innovation fellows found that Dallas and San Francisco, others where had open police data. 
but that was sitting, you know, right now when we're using our phone, the GIS or location data is flying off everyone's phones into their mapping, but the police data was quiet. So could we use that? And so the police data initiative was born, which was getting police departments around to release at least three data sets, officer-involved shooting, use of force data, to try to see what was going on, or the data-driven justice program, where we found uh, Miami, for example, had gone from 7,000 people in prison to 4,700, closed to jail and saved $12 million by finding a different path for those who are facing substance abuse or mental health challenges. And so by having a stabilization unit in the hospital, they were routing people into services kind of this idea of, you know, taking some of the policing money into services and then less people in jail saving, I mean, $12 million substantial. So could we get more people to know about what Miami was doing and build a coalition of sharing these kinds of innovations that were already here in our country, but weren't widely known? And so that's kind of a form of community organizing. You're talking about capacity building, and this is sort of a adjacent topic, I would say, or question, which is how is the capacity like in our policymakers in terms of understanding the implications that policies and laws have on how how things get implemented. I mean, I would imagine that so much of like the ability to build things that are really great and efficient and so forth, sometimes that just comes down to like, what does the law say in how, what I'm supposed to make or how it's supposed to be made or what are the rules or who has to reach, right? Like, it's not like you have the freedom of somebody who's doing a pizza delivery app where they can just think about the most efficient way to get somebody to the pizza. Any kind of thing that gets made or budgeted, there's like a long list of all the rules that say how it's supposed to be, how the money's supposed to be given out and who's supposed to get it and what are the rules to getting it, and what it right? Mm-hmm. So how much of a bottleneck or how much of a drain or difficulty is the rules that kind of that go into the system, I guess the laws in terms of getting us to a place where the technology is really great? Yeah, I think this is one of the key questions and one of the key things to work on and paying attention to watching for bureaucracy issues that you can change, you know, because it's the government is whoever shows up. So whoever's there has to do this. Otherwise, it won't happen. Right. Sometimes you think a little bit about like, if you think about the past, it, this is not a new problem. Like, you know, the Pony Express was happening when President Lincoln was there. And then the Telegraph showed up and people, you know, you have to upgrade and it's a constant upgrading. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, what does government do? But a lot of what it does is kind of adjudicate a document. So there's a truck permit 
there's an immigration application, there's a student loan thing, whatever the thing are, there's these forms or documents, many different pieces coming together. Say, for example, a student loan application might have grades and information, financial, all different pieces coming together, right? So in the case of immigration reform, one of the things the team found was that as the documents were coming together, the system was pretty rusty and people were printing. And then this packet of lots of different things was then going around in cases and being shipped through the U.S. mail to the various locations where people would review. And, you know, we don't need to do that anymore. We have amazing digital systems, but there were a lot of reasons why that old system was staying being used. So upgrading that, and it turned out it was like $300 million of postage is what I've heard from some of the folks. So, I mean, that's the budget of the Peace Corps, so we could double the Peace Corps. So there's things like that that are really worth fixing. And there's a reason why they were that way. That was the best somebody could have done. There's actually a wonderful Buckminster Fuller quote. It says, uh, it's in Operating Spaceship Earth. He says something like, if you're in a shipwreck and a piano top floats by, it makes a fortuitous life preserver. And that's not to say that you would design life preserver in the shape of a piano top. And there are many piano tops in our world. And, and so it's really kudos to the people who've gone before us for figuring out you know, this amazing thing. We have an incredible country and government, many, many challenges, deep systemic challenges uh, to solve. But those who've gone before, you just have to notice one of the systems people had was there was a process and you had to wait three days. And people were like, why are we waiting the three days? And it turned out it was so old that it was from when the ink was supposed to dry. Like we don't need to do that anymore. So right. there's a lot of that around. And because the government's so big, you have to be really mindful to notice these things and really proactively change them together as rapidly as you can, because the American people deserve it. I mean, American people are amazing. And if given you know, the resources will do extraordinary things as we always have. Some of it's so self-fulfilling too, right? Because there's like all these people who are like, we have to cut the size of the government. The government's terrible at doing things. Look at this. They're waiting three days because, because they're waiting for ink to dry. They're so, they don't, they're so inefficient. But half the reason or all of the reason is because nobody wants to invest any of the money into, you know, upgrading the, the government in some level, right? And the, yes, and the interesting thing is that a lot of times the way we're doing things is pretty expensive. And so you actually can find savings for what you want to do in upgrading the method. Sure. So it can become so much less expensive to yeah. do what we're trying to do, especially with just genius innovations around with open source and other things, which we brought those policies in and found a way to do that. Now you've started like a new, would you call it a firm or a consulting practice or? or... Kind of a, like a co-create. We, we work on really challenges around environmental, social, and economic inclusion. The company, it's called Shift7. Uh, mm -hmm. Shift7 on the U.S. keyboards is uh, and. We work together. And we have a set of projects that we do around finding innovators of all different kinds. One of them is the United Nations Solution Summit, which we've done for five years. So we ask on the web, like, who's already fixing this? And the first year we got 800 submissions. Last year we got 1,400 submissions from 141 countries in three weeks wow. of people already doing things. So, you know, what should we do about gender equality? What should we do about clean water? Well, well, you're doing that. Let's help you. So it's that same kind of venture capital kind of method, but it's maybe venture catalyzing, finding mm -hmm. different partners. And so 400 of the applicants want to be on the committee. And so we make a gender-balanced, geo-balanced, topic-balanced group of reviewers, youth and grown-ups, and 
review all of these amazing initiatives and lift up 10 of them, 10 to 14 of them every year. Just extraordinary things people are doing on all different topics. And then provide acceleration programs and, and do that. We work with MIT Soft on uh, the Indigenous Communities Fellowship. So we're in our third year. So at first it was the Oshede Shikome, which is the Standing Rock teams in the Gracie Nation, the Council of Fires in the Dakotas, looking for innovators who are on reservations there. 22 people applied. They had funding for six of them to come forward as fellows. The next year, added Navajo and Hopi um, and seven more fellows. And then this year, we have eight more fellows and some people doing just incredible work all across Native America, Alaska Natives, Hawaiian Natives. And a lot of people, you know, the if I say innovation or if I say entrepreneur, you kind of think Silicon Valley, but we're trying to say, think anybody, mm. where are they? What are they doing? And maybe they have a commercial business model. Maybe they have a social business model, a civic business model, an environmental, a blend. Maybe it's more of scientific research that then they ship like George Washington Carver, you know, saved the country with his product there, nitrogen fixed the soil, peanuts. And a venture capitalist supported him to then go out and really community organize or bring that out, training thousands of farmers a month. His, the picture of Carver and Secretary Wallace sits over the U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary's desk hmm. for really the innovation that Carver brought to us to really save us from malnutrition. So people who are steeped in their community, they understand the challenges they're facing. They have genius innovation. We have a Islands of Innovation. So the local 2030 Island Network, many islands are facing, of course, they're on the front lines of climate change great innovators there. So lifting them up and getting them interconnected. And then a couple of years ago, we went on a tech jobs tour with Lesbians Who Tech all across the US, went to 25 different cities, finding that network of innovators and those who would join them who were already in town and making sure people were well connected and bridging that. So that's part of our work. So for instance, some of the work you're doing with the Navajo Nation, what type of innovation projects or what type of work would with people that you, who I guess would be fellows or that you would be supporting, like what's an example of the type of things they might be doing in their community? Navajo is nation's the size of West Virginia and there's 10 grocery stores. So there's a real need for fresh food and, and uh, there's water challenges and other challenges. And so people who are really creatively addressing sustainable agriculture and fresh food, organic food, a lot of original indigenous sustainable food, there's people working on geothermal energy in Henry Red Cloud in Pine Ridge, his uh, Lakota is doing fabulous work around small housing, sustainable housing. Uh, a lot of times on reservations, you'll see maybe 15 or 16 people per house versus what you might see other places, three or four people per household. So the real need for much more housing. He has amazing solutions for renewable energy, so like a solar furnace that just collects passively the sun and then it's taking your heating bill down by a third. Just wonderful mm. innovations that are there. And then this year we had uh, a group doing AI work around language preservation. So just a whole range, whether it's more artistic, more engineering and environmental, more food and agriculture, more community-based, lots of different solutions that people have. How does like the funding mechanism for it all work? Is that so for instance, you mentioned like MIT or like the UN, are they sort of like the funding institutions for those projects? Depending on the program that we're running, we'll usually get some corporate sponsors who are supporting the the programming, the events itself, travel, those kinds of things, people, people's salaries. And then we try to find stipends in some cases. In the UN one, there's not a stipend, but they end up meeting extraordinary ex acceleration partners 
and then move on. You, know, you can kind of see this list of how they get picked up. Uh, one of them actually just won the Ted Prize. So there's just extraordinary things start to happen as they get discovered, maybe. They're already doing their work. They're just less known. And so they're not in the networks. The networks need connecting because there's so many people already in the world solving things that we find very challenging. You know, reached out to Mulala Yousafzai's family uh, when she was attacked uh, to help support and we created the Malala Fund. So she would have a, an organization so she could lead us in mm -hmm. growth education because she's the innovator who really sees this, understands this and can lead. So I've done so many acquisitions and founders are so like the Webbies, you know, the Webbies were like people were just going to do what they were going to do. And so how do you support that human ingenuity, that human curiosity, that human persistence and capability of vision and the network that would coach and help people pivot and iterate to what really manifesting what we need to solve for keeping our, our communities well and our, and our living planet safe. These are what these programs are about. And so sometimes there's a stipend, sometimes there's an introduction, sometimes it just depends, but it's really a, a journey of discovery. And if you think about the Webby Awards themselves, like in the beginning of the internet, stuff just came from everywhere, you know, just everywhere. And it was so fun. And it is, is still fun, but it's much more complex, as we know. We People, you know, I, I always say a chainsaw and a pencil, they can be used for good or bad, right? So with the internet. And we've got some bad stuff going on. We've got some terrible business models that are, like, sucking the attention of all of us and our children. we got to get out of that selling data on each other. But it's exciting stuff. One of the things I would add that's also our Shift 7 work is, like, media bias or who's included so not only is technology innovation for any topic, anyone is welcome and should be encouraged and welcomed and uh, included in, you know, the universe doesn't ring bells between the subject and tell people some people are good at math and some people aren't like we're doing that. So like I have this book here, this is, uh, you know, Ada Lovelace, you know, she was a computer programmer. Yeah, she was at the same time as Darwin, you know, so Darwin is thinking about our origin when Ada thinks of our future. She said, she said, I think we can figure out the math of the cerebrum, like we've discovered astronomy. I wish to bequeath to the generations a calculus of the nervous system, like AI. Yeah. And calculus, maybe quantum. So like women are always and have been part, people of color, like everybody's been part of this. It's just that we have a lot of biases and so really have to work hard not to encode all of this bias into AI, but to broaden who's at the table. And the thing that I guess I've learned across time is we don't have a pipeline problem, but we think we do. So we keep not solving the problem. The problem is the climate and the dismissiveness of each other in our current tech teams. And how can we actually change our culture as rapidly as possible to become much more of a level playing field for all the talent to flourish rather than accelerating some and diminishing others. What do you mean by the climate? Like the environment that people work in or just the, the sort of the attitudes that people have? Yeah, all that stuff. I have a friend, you know, African-American, very talented woman um, in computer science. You know, she was just remarking, you know, she'll come out of a meeting and, you know, it's as if no one knows her anymore. Like just this othering of each other. A lot of white men who are lucky and grew up with privilege who might be, you know, running a tech company, nobody's asking them if they're the custodian, right? But that's happening to people. And yet Katherine Johnson, you know, who President Obama gave the Medal of Freedom, you know, this genius mathematician, we had, the, I had the honor to 
spend time with her, you know, she calculated the trajectory to the moon. She calculated John, like she, she's the person who did that. So we have to know those stories, these hidden figures. And so our company does a lot of work. Uh, we just did a thing called 20 for 2020, which is uh, just 20 incredible women. We published it with Amy Polish Smart Girls on the Smart Girls website, but 20 incredible women, 80% women of color who just have done genius things. Everyone from, you know, two of the flyers, Bessie Coleman, uh, incredible Native American, African-American woman who was the first uh, one in her community to get a pilot's license, a barnstormer, civil rights suffragist, or Susan Wright, Wilbur Norville's mom, who no one knows is a mechanical genius. You know, mm. and, and, uh, or the women who discovered the whooping cough vaccine in Michigan, these three women who you know, went around collecting coughing plates and people told them to work on it if they, it amused them. You know, just really dismissive climate. And yet, yes, it did amuse them to save you know, all of our lives from the 100 day cough. You know, and, and so here we are again, you know, who's being diminished that would solve you know, COVID challenges? So let's not do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is, I mean, I think you're absolutely right to focus on stories. I mean, so much of it is about the stories that we tell and the stories that we revere and the stories that we share. And those stories mean everything to like what young people eventually see as the world. And I mean, you said we need to make sure we don't encode AI with our biases. Yeah. I mean, because to some extent we've encoded ourselves with our biases. So I appreciate that. We had Rashad Robinson, who runs Color of Change on oh, yeah. recently. And, you know, it's a very simple point, which I'm sure most people who are paying attention, I'm super aware of, are very aware of this, but it really stuck with me, which he said, we talk about how there aren't enough women in tech and how we need to train more women so they can get in tech and they need to go into these, you know, incubators so we can get more women in tech. But he's like, we never talk about how white men don't hire women in tech. We assign the problem to the people who are being discriminated against instead of assign, saying women are discriminated against when they're not being hired, right? Exactly. And women of color the worst. And I, I think it's this climate challenge that we really have. And one of the stories that really pops that for me is Ida B. Wells. I don't know if you've heard of her. She has this incredible journalist, data scientist, leader in the late 1800s into the 1900s, suffragists co-founded the NAACP. She was in Memphis and her friends were dragged from their grocery store and, and lynched. And so she started to look at, you know, the mob violence and look at the data science and the journalism there and really put a mirror up to America. So I think of her as, you know, Black Lives Matter data scientists of that time. At the same time, she eventually moved to Chicago. They burned her newspaper. I just saw Memphis is raising money for an Ida B. Wells statue, which I hope we can have soon and celebrate her. When she moved to Chicago, one of her mentors, Frederick Douglass, they actually protested the Chicago World's Fair for three years. And they were asking for an African-American pavilion. And the point was, you know, a couple of decades after slavery, we would like to show off the inventions and sculptors and, you know, philosophers and architects and all the people from our community in this celebration, just like Tesla you know, in Edison battling, and it was not allowed. You know, that's how many, a hundred something years ago, there's no pipeline problem. Like it was, you're not allowed in the fair problem. And, uh, you know, the woman who invented the dishwasher, Josephine Cochran, and uh, there's nothing that celebrates her really that we know other than her company, you know, is part of KitchenAid. 
So we use her stuff. Your dishwasher today is her design. We just need to know all these different things. And I guess I'd share this image with you. It's interesting. This is Ralph Abernathy. And you can see the Apollo, you know, sort of the rockets are going. And what are they doing there? Well, it's the Poor People's uh, March. And they've gone to the Apollo 11 moon landing, moon launch, sorry. And they're saying, you know, if we can do this, couldn't we work on poverty? Like, why are these mutually exclusive? Yeah. And the head of NASA actually came to meet with Abernathy and the, the community that was there and said, you know, if I could not push this button and solve poverty, I'd do it. And so the question is, like, why can't we have both? And it's where we started in this conversation, this idea of civic tech, philanthropy tech, gender balance, like the presidential innovation fellows who did hack the pay gap with hundreds of data scientists and solutions. They're like, let's make these problems as worthy as self-driving cars. And let's use all the tools of the universe on these harder problems and get more of our fellow Americans into the kind of passion jobs that so many people have. Let's have everybody in. And that's the vision I think we can have. We That's what this internet is really about. And the Webbies were, you know, in their day about that. You know, that's what we're- Still doing. are, I hope. Yeah, celebrate, it is. It's celebrate the best of what human ingenuity, right? Megan Smith, their new company is Shift7, long-time Webby judge. Very, very much appreciate having you on the Webby podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Megan for joining me on the Webby podcast and for the very important work she does. That was a very meaty episode with a lot you can learn. If you're interested in learning more about Megan's work at Shift7, make sure to check out their website at Shift7, that's 7, the number, S-H-I-F-T-7.com. Also, if you want to hear more about the innovations led by the U.S. Digital Service, we have a great profile of that work on our site. We'll link to it in the show notes. If you like the Webby podcast and want to support it, leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really like it and you want to make my mom happy, leave us a review. If you are making great stuff on the internet, I hope you won't forget to enter. Our final deadline is coming up Friday, December 18th. For information on that and other information on the Webby Awards, visit webbyawards.com. That's W-E-B-B-Y awards.com. And on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our producer is Taylor Griffin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Terrence Brosnan is our editor. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is a well-refined global opportunity matrix. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is The Webby Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.